0: Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Meg Gardner on the show with me today. I, when Meg, when I first uh, was was talking with your publicist and and I saw the new book coming out, um, you know Heat Two. This is this is the prequel and sequel to that fantastic 1995 movie heat, um, that is emblazoned on our pop culture, um, you know, consciousness. Um, I said, oh, that, that is so cool. Um, but Meg Gardner, uh, she wrote the Joe Beckett series and like, I, I I was kind of more stoked about that than (laughs) Heat too, until I got to reading the book and you know, it's phenomenal book, but anyway, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Well, thank you. Um, Meg, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is this What is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller?
1: We can return to the <laughs> to <laughs> my kindergarten days when I didn't even know how to write and was drawing stories with crayons. If you want to go back to the story of Pearl, the oh, farm yeah. horse, who was treated badly by the farmer and managed to escape over the fence. So <laughs> I always, Pearl. I guess, I was into thrillers even before I knew what they were.
0: Uh, <laughs> had a or lot that of teachers that, along the way. <laughs> That's a new subgenre, you know, barnyard thrillers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wide open, everybody.
0: (laughs) Wide open, boy, you make your mark there. Um, Did uh, did that desire follow you, you know, kind of? And if I'm not mistaken, you practiced law first before becoming a published author. Is that right?
1: I did. I did not. I mean, I always loved writing. I wrote for the school paper in high school. Uh, I did not major in English lit or uh, creative writing. My degree was in economics. And then I wanted, I I still wanted to write and uh, had a talk heart to heart with my parents who were extremely supportive of me and encouraged me to do whatever my Heart desired, but um, did uh, point out that I would be needing to keep a roof over my head while I was uh, finding a way to uh, to to write. So perhaps yeah. I would per- like to do that while practicing law instead of maybe uh, you know washing dishes um, at two in the morning at some uh, diner. So uh, I, I took their advice. I went to law school. I Uh, practice law in los angeles for several years then i when i had three small kids i switched to teaching at the university of california santa barbara i taught legal research and writing there which was fantastic and amazing and was writing short stories uh, magazine pieces knew i still wanted to to try to write and was actually when Uh, My husband's job was transferred to London and uh, we all went with him. The kids were finally all at least in preschool and I had gone over uh, without a job waiting for me. And I knew it was put up or shut up time that if I ever wanted to write a novel, this was this was my opportunity where I didn't have to commute into into an office. First thing in the morning, I could uh, I could at least write until the school bus came. (laughs) So that's what I did.
0: Well, some people would argue that uh, that studying law is studying creative writing, but but you know that's that's another exploration.
1: <laughs> yes and no. You are uh, when you when you're a trial lawyer, and that's I I, I was a litigator. You um, you deal in stories because right. every legal case is is a story about uh, something that has gone awry between two parties, and right. it's the lawyers literally the lawyer's duty to represent your client, uh, and present their case, their narrative, their story in the most compelling and persuasive manner you can. So you learn how to, uh, how to craft a compelling narrative.
0: Some people may see, um, studying law, practicing law, then teaching, um, and then writing as a circuitous route to get to writing. And, and, it is in some ways, but I'm of the opinion that no life experience is wasted on a writer, um, that that there are things that you can glean from uh, from all sorts of uh, life experiences and, 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 you know, careers and things like that, that then inform you as a writer uh, and and help in certain ways. Can, not looking back on your time studying the law and then teaching, can you see that those uh, experiences added things to your writer toolbox? Of course. I'm sorry they're mowing grass right outside my window.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They may turn up in this neighborhood as well, so we will just (laughs) talk over them if they do. But I, um, I knew that law would be a a career, a profession where I did a lot of writing and you need to do it, uh, you need to do it well. So that, uh, and, and what you write matters. It has real world consequences immediately for your clients. I can write a a thriller where the world, where the, you know, the earth explodes um, and hope to get readers gasping as they turn that page. But when you are uh, trying to convince a judge uh, or or jury that your your client is in the right legally, uh, that has immediate uh, real world consequences, and you you learn to pay attention to that. And teaching, I really enjoyed it. I love the kids. I love the students, uh, and uh, love being able to craft my own courses. When you when you have to figure out to the how to teach something. And I was basically given carte blanche to create, to, to create a course. Um, and then you give assignments and you have to uh, give feedback. You quickly learn all the bits of craft that you didn't know you needed right. to understand explicitly. So you have to figure out uh, uh, what's going on so that you can, um, you can give Constructive feedback to, to students so that they understand uh, how to uh, how to strengthen their own writing and that was a wonderful wonderful um, way to learn about uh, how to strengthen my own writing and um, yeah it was secureness but again I was uh, I was keeping the roof over my head over my family's right. head and uh, and and writing on my own stuff whenever I could and the actual the biggest shock came when I decided that I, I was going to try to write a novel. And I assumed that because I was a knew how to write legal briefs and taught writing that it would be a snap. And it wasn't. <laughs> and <laughs> hilarity hilarious. <laughs> right. You have to you have to learn the discipline. You have to learn a whole
0: new skill set. It's like switching sports. <laughs> right. So you're you're in London and you're you're writing that first book. Uh, China Lake was your first book that was published, um, and. Just, you know, you dropped you onto the scene with, you know, fire and fireworks and all of that. But I understand that China Lake was not the first book that you had written or had attempted to write. Tell us about this book that was a that had a huge cast and was a murder mystery where no one got murdered.
1: Well, yeah. See, I see you've talked to a lot of other writers and know that this is how it goes, as well as (laughs) hearing of this story that uh I wanted to write a caper novel and uh, knew how to write, had so much fun writing banter and dialogue and some crazy scenes with some real wacky characters. And I just uh, thought it was going terrific. But it was when I told a friend that it was a, they said, what is it? You know, is it a science fiction, a romance, uh literary fiction? I said, no, it's a, I guess you'd call it a murder mystery. And then they said, so where's, you know, where's the murder? And uh, <laughs> that's told me that was a big oops so I had to go back and revise it and that novel was um that's a starter novel that was uh that was a great experience it taught me that uh I could figure out how to get to the words the end and I always tell people that's really important is to learn how to finish your stuff yeah Uh, and it was it was by the time I fixed, I started killing people in the story. <laughs> and fixed that problem. Uh, it, it was it was uh, strong enough that I uh, it got me a literary agent in London, and uh, he said, "Now I'm going to take this out, but you'd better get started writing something else." And um, he was trying to shop the the first one around when I I, I gave him China Lake, and he said, "Let's we're going to we're going to." We're going to put the brakes on the first one and and I'm going to send this one out to editors instead. And China Lake was uh, 100 times stronger because I had figured out uh, that that there was an incredibly high bar and I had to figure out how to clear it uh, if I really wanted to see my work in print.
0: And it took a few years, but I did. So China Lake um, was the book that broke you into the industry and uh, is is one of those hallmark books that, you know, looking over your back catalog, it still stands extremely strong. Uh, and not a lot of first novels uh, are able to to do that, you know, from if you look through a lot of successful authors back catalogs. You know, those first ones are OK, but, you know, it, they, they got better as they as they went along. Um, China Lake is 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 a strong, strong novel. Um, what did you learn from that first novel that when you started writing China Lake, like like what things did you did you understand that second time around that the first novel taught you?
1: That I needed a an incredibly strong story. That I needed, uh, I needed a compelling plot. That the that the that the crazy characters and the, the pages of entertaining banter uh, were a start, but that's not going to carry readers uh, from you know through a 300-page novel. They 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 want an emotional experience of. Uh, if you're writing a thriller, it has to thrill. You have to have some. Uh, deadly disturbance, some kind of uh, chaos that enters the, the character's world really right off the bat and throws their entire lives, their community, their, their family, whatever, out of balance and sets them out to uh, try to stop worse things from happening. And there'd better be time pressure, there'd better be a uh, an extremely strong antagonist who has got their own goals that may be twisted and malign, and uh, you'd better figure out how to how to get from, uh, from your idea to, uh leaving the characters basically through hell and you know, that's what that's what you've got to do to your characters in a thriller you want them to to uh to have to fight their way through to uh, to whatever goal it is to restoring justice or saving the puppies or uh uh reaching the top of mount doom whatever whatever you're talking about and right. uh, you've got you've got to make sure it's not easy that's uh, and that the readers care about these people. So it's creating curiosity and concern for the characters, putting them in jeopardy, and then putting the pedal down. And it took me a while to figure out how to do all of that in one book. And uh, when I did, it was successful.
0: <laughs> to to be a successful author in a certain genre, you need to be a fan of that genre. First off, you need to understand what people expect from the genre and uh if, if people pick up a thriller um it, you know they're gonna expect kind of a breakneck pace and and uh characters that are in danger and uh you know there, there are certain hallmarks we call them tropes if we want to but you know you need to understand how the genre works to successfully write in the genre um what was it this lawnmower is just crazy right here um what what was it that uh, that made you fall in love with the thriller genre?
1: I had been a reader of thrillers since middle school, probably <laughs> sneaking them off my parents' bookshelf. <laughs> there was no there were, there was no YA category when I was growing up, so I was reading adult novels, and I loved the big global uh, thrillers of the of the day. I loved the sense of like you said, the pace, some kind of high octane uh, journey that uh, the uh, characters were on, and the characters uh, were larger than life in some way, that they were that you could relate to them, but they had, they had skills, they had daring. They, uh, if they didn't know they had that, then they uh, had to find a way to uh, discover it in themselves over the course of the novel. That there was, there were huge stakes involved, and those would be literal life and death. That it wasn't right. just going to be a metaphorical, you know. Uh, you know, embarrassment at the job. It was going to be physical. Life and death would be involved. And you know, when you're young, that's you know, your emotions are just overflowing. Right. You want to you want to read all that stuff. But it was it was the roller coaster thrill of um, of this of the suspense and the tension that uh, really drew me to to being a reader. And I thought, if I'm going to write, that's that's what I want to write.
0: With uh, with China Lake that launched the the Evan Delaney series and, uh, and Evan Delaney as a series character, uh, when did you realize that this character was going to resonate with readers uh, in the way that, that you know, they, they want to read the next Evan Delaney thriller?
1: Um, well... When when the, when my uh, publisher uh, in in London said, "Can we have another one?" <laughs>
0: <you wrote> <laughs> That's 8, always the can best we, way. Can have it.
1: another story featuring this character. And I I had tried to figure out how to create a a, a character. Initially, um, I had uh, drawn from she's not me, but I. I didn't step too far aside because I wanted to be able to portray a young woman from Southern California. Who's got a, you know, how's she going to do? She's got a legal background. Okay. I know how to write about that. Uh, she, uh, she lives in Santa Barbara. That's where I grew up. Uh, but of course I made her, uh, younger and uh, mouthier and braver, and she could run faster and jump higher than me. And, uh, I enjoyed being able to uh, insert humor at absurd times in the stories and, uh, I think because I loved her and had so much fun creating her uh, and gave her heart and some kind of a spark and uh, uh, bravery then that uh, readers uh, readers went along as well and really, really seemed to love her.
0: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned humor because uh, that's that's sort of a hallmark in, in a lot of your work is that there will be um, humor, uh, sometimes irreverent, sometimes um you know, at, at odd places. Um, But humor in thrillers is an, is an interesting concept because on the surface you would think, well, well, this is ill placed or, you know, maybe ill-advised, but sometimes you need moments of levity to let readers off the hook for a minute, because if you keep their adrenaline just spiked out all the time, then you don't have anything else to go to. But giving humor and kind of letting the the reader relax for a moment, or to have a different emotion, then when you come back with the uh, with the high octane moments, they they hit harder. Um, that, that's how do you think about nice. that?
1: Yeah that's absolutely right. Uh I don't write uh I don't write humorous novels. Right. I mean if you want to do that you can read Carl uh, Hiaasen or Janet Ivanovich and just uh, right. uh love them to to death but I write uh, novels that do have a lot of action that do have a lot of um uh Emotional tension, and like in or in our real lives, we want a moment where we can um, catch our breath, where we can right. uh, shake off the tension. And uh, doing that with uh, with with humor, with a with a with a few lines, with the with some kind of absurd little intrusion into a, a tense moment, that does let readers uh, catch their breath and not feel like they're just. Uh, you know being thrown out of an airplane and scrambling right. to waiting for the ground to, to come up at them so uh, finding a way to, to insert that and to, uh, to to let them catch their breath and to uh, uh, feel that they that even the characters here know that uh, life can occasionally be absurd and find something humorous in the depths of a of a dangerous situation uh, I I love I love books when I read it, read them like that. And uh, so I tried to insert that into my own.
0: Um, the Evan Delaney, like, like you said, um, is, is based in Southern California. Very, very much like you were. It was something you're very familiar with. The Joe Beckett series moved us to Northern California um, in, uh, in a lot of their stories. And then of course, with heat, we're back in Southern California. Uh what is it about California as a place that sort of becomes a character in your books?
1: Well, number one, I love I love California and I know it well since I grew up there and lived there for so many years. And it it's it's a big place. Uh, physically, population-wise, and in the imagination of uh, America and the world. California looms large. It's iconic, and anything can go in California, and it's got mountains, beaches, uh, Disneyland, Hollywood, Silicon Valley, uh, Yosemite. Literally has it all. uh, (laughs) uh, And the characters that you can find in california uh, nobody will be surprised to, to see <laughs> right. larger than life characters in a novel set there so it was uh i just uh, I, and especially when i was living in london i enjoyed at least being in california in my head sometimes on the beach when it was cold and rainy in the uk so and then of course heat and heat too have uh, uh, a lot of the action is set in los angeles um, the, right. the movie the 1995 film uh, took takes place a, entirely in la over the course of just a, a few weeks so naturally uh we were going to uh we we're going to re- we were going to return to that in uh, in the new novel
0: yeah um after evan delaney joe beckett as as we mentioned um joe is a different kind of character than evan um what was it that where did he come from and and what was the idea for this series of books
1: Jo Beckett is, uh, she's a a medical doctor. She is a forensic psychiatrist, and uh, she consults for the San Francisco Police Department in cases of equivocal death. That's uh, cases where the cops and the medical examiner are stumped. They don't know whether someone's death was accident, natural suicide, or homicide, and they bring in... uh, Joe to perform a psychological autopsy and see if they can figure out whether someone ended up under a bus because they tripped over the curb, because uh, they were despondent, or because someone pushed them, that kind of thing. So she has to look through their life. She is the last resort in cases where the rest of the investigators are stumped. And I was fascinated by the idea of someone who would do this forensic work uh, on the mind and uh, look deep into people's hearts and psyches and uh, and figure out what had been going on with them and whether someone uh someone had decided to end their life and those stories wouldn't of course wouldn't fit with the story stories of the, the evan laney stories which are about a journalist so i right. started a new i started a new series and absolutely had a fantastic time writing those novels and joe makes a comeback in my third series as well she she makes an appearance in uh, in the dark corners of the night, which is uh, one of the UNSEP novels.
0: Nice. Um, what other than the obvious, um, the the career viewpoint, um, what did changing series protagonists do for you creatively? Like getting to to see these stories and they they're different kinds of stories. But getting to see the characters and the situations through a different protagonist point of view, um, did, did that open new territories for you?
1: Of course, and it was it was wonderful. I had to do a tremendous amount of research to find out what the uh, what the work of uh, forensic psychiatry actually involves. Uh, what someone in Joe's position would do, uh, whether she'd be, be a practice, whether she'd be you know on faculty at uh, medical school. She's in the story. She's a member of the, the San Francisco Mobile Crisis Team that that uh, that takes it goes out when uh, someone's having some kind of a physical or, or uh, mental crisis and um, to really find out what's involved in doing a psychological autopsy and surrounding her with a whole new cast of uh, characters. She's law enforcement adjacent. She's, she doesn't carry a gun. She's a doctor. Right. Um, she's uh, she becomes friends with the, with the San Francisco police department de- uh, detective. She, um, she, she, has a relationship with a pararescueman from the uh, 129th uh, Rescue Wing of the California Air National Guard, which is a fantastic um, uh, group that uh, is uh, that's headquartered at uh, Moffett Field, south of San Francisco, and I got to meet people there. I got to do a lot of research about rock climbing and medicine and just had uh, um, really felt like I got to stretch my wings.
0: Love it. Um, what? Tell me about your third series, the Unsub series. I've got the the first novel Unsub on my shelf uh, in the other room, um, and I haven't gotten to read it yet, but I'm I'm really intrigued by it. What What is this series all about?
1: It's about a young detective, and then who becomes an FBI profiler named Caitlin Hendricks, who uh, hunts serial predators. And unsub is about the is the FBI term for for unknown subject, which means the bad guys that they cannot identify in actual whodunit cases. Uh, People like the Zodiac or uh, who is still unidentified and uh, at large, Uh, people like for the years, the Night Stalker. uh, uh, or the Ted Bundy before he was identified, and so all those novels are about uh, this young, this young driven detective who uh, starts by uh, investigating a cold case that has turned hot again in NSUB, the case that uh, broke her father, who was a homicide detective because he could not solve it. So she uh, gets involved with that, and uh, then she joins the FBI. All the all the novels in the series have a kernel of true crime. At, their heart there's uh all the cases in the novels uh, were sparked by some real uh infamous case uh, in the united states the zodiac and ted bundy the, the night stalker and more to come so they are they're, they're thrillers they're psychological suspense um and uh it's been a A revelation to do a lot of research for that both uh studying the the predators and the people who hunt them down
0: are you proud of yourself that you keep people from getting good night's sleep
1: i love that (laughs) so much it warms my heart
0: (laughs) see now i'm gonna have to take the five books on my nightstand that i'm currently reading through and i'm going to push those aside and and pick up the first unsub book okay all right um heat two uh What what an iconic property um, that uh, I remember my wife and I got married in 1994 and we went to see Heat in the theater the next year. And it's one of those stories that just sticks in your mind for, um, you know, over 25 years now. How did first off, how did Heat 2 come about and how did you get uh, connected with Michael Mann to to take these, these characters and this concept to, and take it to new uh, places forward and backward. <laughs> Number
1: one, I've always been a happen? fan yeah. of Michael Mann for, for decades. Number two, I'm a, was a, a huge admirer of Heat, which I think is one of the best crime movies, if not the best, and certainly the best heist movie uh, ever made. And, Michael had for years thought about expanding the world uh, of heat. the The movie is you know very intensive. I mean, I know, I know that there is there are people who are coming to it for the first time if yeah. they have not seen it 25, 30, 40 times like <laughs> like I have and uh, it's about that. it's about a highline crew of bank robbers led by neil McCauley, played by robert de niro in the film and the uh, the relentless uh detective LAPD homicide detective who is hunting them played by al pacino and it's about uh, the high stakes heists they take and the uh, the relentlessness of the investigation and about how these guys are uh Flip sides of the same coin, in a way, they meet and they develop uh, a wary respect and rapport. And then, and of course, their worlds collide uh, in a deadly showdown when there's a bank robbery that erupts into a war on the streets of Los Angeles. So it is iconic. It is dramatic. It is... Um, moving and exciting, and it takes place over just a few weeks. So, this, as Michael says, it's a, it represents a splinter of time in these people's lives. A very intense and uh, climactic period in a way, but he knew who they were. He had written biographies for all the major characters uh, before before the movie. He knew where they'd come from, um, and he knew where he wanted to see the, where the survivors of the movie might go. Afterward, that they had a whole lot more life and a lot of stories uh, that could be told for people who uh, who really loved the film, and <laughs> he loves the film, of course. They are his characters; they are dear to his heart. The, he was very passionate about uh, exploring their their world some more, and um, he wanted to do it as a novel. And he's a filmmaker. He's a he's a wonderful writer. He's extraordinarily accomplished. Um, And all his work was for film and television, so he he wanted to collaborate with someone who had experience telling stories in the form of a novel and, you know, writing 100,000 words or 400 pages and uh, doing it that way. So we have the same literary agent who introduced us um, after Michael read Unsub and wanted to talk, so we did and uh, agreed to work together.
0: What's interesting is that uh, – well, first off, I, w- I want to touch on um, – you You described uh, Heat as a heist novel and, or as a heist movie, and, and it absolutely is. Um, is there – do heists and thrillers uh, occupy the same space, or if, if there's a Venn diagram of heist and thrillers, like how much overlap is there in those two genres or subgenres, however you want to look at it? <laughs>
1: They overlap, or a heist, uh, heist uh, story would be a, a, a subset of, of thrillers. Um, I don't know that Michael would call Heat a heist movie. He doesn't. I don't know that he even would call it a, a crime movie. I think he calls it a drama, that it's uh, about these people and their work and uh, what drives them through life and their families and their loves and their children and um and they're everything that they've they've lived for and lost or, or will lose. Um, a heist high uh, story is a particular kind of of thriller involving uh, high stakes uh, the, uh, theft of some kind, uh, burglary, robbery, uh, uh, safe. Cracking to get the to get the ground the crown jewels out of the vault, uh, but it but it involves a theft of some of some sort. So in heat in heat that's what Macaulay's crew specializes in. They have, the movie opens with them um, taking down uh, an armored van to to steal bearer bonds. Uh, they at one point they're trying to uh, break into a precious metals depository, and then of course. Uh, the biggest uh, moment is uh, is when they when they rob a bank in downtown Los Angeles. So uh, Heist comes under the the banner of of thrillers, but it had better there' had better be something that uh, somebody's uh, trying to get their fingers on.
0: <laughs> right. Um, with uh, y- you said that that Michael had written biographies for all of these characters and that heat was a splinter in time and is just a a brief glimpse, a, a couple of weeks. In these characters entire lives. And so uh, and and he wanted to expand on that. Did he have an idea of how he wanted to expand it? And did did he and you collaborate on uh, on the the outline of where the story would go, where were there like tent poles that you guys established or how, how did that happen?
1: There were tent poles. The concepts and the idea, the premise for uh, for the novel Heat 2, which is a prequel and a sequel, uh, those were Michael's. He already had it uh, very firmly in mind that he wanted to tell stories of Macaulay's crew and uh, Hannah's investigations years before uh, years before Heat, and um, and then uh, move. Forward in time, away from Los Angeles, uh, into to, to South America and Southeast Asia, uh, with the uh, with Christian who survives the who survives the movie. He's played by Val Kilmer, and uh, find out what happens to him after he barely escapes by the skin of his teeth. Uh, nearly dead from a gunshot wound uh, has to leave his family behind uh, and uh, and doesn't know if he'll ever get to see them again as he's uh, ferreted out of the out of the country. So he but he wanted to tell it all very dramatically. Nothing about no long expository sections where you just find out like how they grew up and all this. We're just, we're going to drop them like he does. We're going to drop you uh, straight into uh, the middle of uh, the action that the, these investigations or this uh, score that uh, everybody's involved in, in Chicago in uh, seven years before, before the movie. So he had, he had, he knew that uh, Hannah was working as a, Homicide detective in Chicago, hunting a crew of uh, home invaders who uh, are, are really nasty. He knew that Macaulay and his crew were in Chicago as well, un- un- totally unconnected, seemingly, maybe, seemingly to to Hannah, but they were there, uh, prepping to take a uh, uh, take down a savings and loan by tunneling into its underground vault. Um, so there's a tunnel. There's a tunnel heist involved in that. He oh, yeah. we knew he knew that there would be a section following that uh, on the U.S. Mexican border where the uh, where the um, where the the crew takes down takes down a, a, a cartel stash house for for millions of dollars, uh, and we knew that the story was going to move ahead in time and somehow it was all going to come together again. Uh, around the turn of uh, turn of the millennium, so uh, he knew that there was going to be a lot of action. There's going to be a lot of drama, and I will tell you that getting the opportunity to write action sequences um, with Michael Mann <laughs> in a novel is uh, is an experience I will uh, that thrilled me, and I will treasure forever because it was uh, pretty spectacular. But also this like like the movie. The novel has a lot of um, quieter moments uh, where we find out what these people do when they're not at work, how they're involved uh, with, uh, you know, friends, lovers, uh, their families, and how that affects everything about about their lives. So it's it's dramatic. There are some um, new characters who are either terrifying or wonderful. Uh, the, the Home Invasion crew is led by a really ruthless guy named Otis Wardell, who is um is uh, a pretty uh, disgusting villain who I really loved writing. Uh, there's some kick-ass women in the story, and uh, I really hope readers will will love it.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the hardest things as a writer to uh, to do is to to figure out a character's voice and and what it is that makes a character jump. Off the page and seem like a three dimensional person that that we've never met before, but we encounter, you know, on these strange scribbles on a page. Um, Walking into this project, we have voices that we all as readers know Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer. John Voight, Tom Sizemore, Ashley Judd, uh, Danny, it goes, Trejo,
1: uh, Natalie Danny Portman, Trejo,
0: Natalie Portman, Tayser, it goes,
1: Michael T. Williamson, yes, <laughs> West Studi, yeah. <laughs> it,
0: it goes on and on and on. Uh, how difficult was it for you as the writer to capture these voices that already exist and already exist in, in a larger than life way in, in a lot of our, uh, you know, we already know these characters, you know, most of us, um how difficult was it to to inhabit those voices and to become the creator of those voices
1: it was it was um it was challenging because i know i had to get it right because michael knows these people inside and out knows how they think how they talk where they've come from uh how they view the world what their goals are i I had to get it. I had to get it right, and I had to move them back and forth in time. So these had to be the same characters, but in the prequel section, they're younger. They are. Uh, they're not as mature. They're in several cases. They're more volatile. Neil Macaulay is not that long out of Folsom Prison and still figuring out. Uh, uh, how to be in the world. Same with, uh, Chris Scheherlis. And they're, they're always looking for, you know, somebody coming at him with a shank, even though they're in a diner and, you know, getting a pastrami sandwich. So, uh, and, uh, Hannah, the cop, he's, uh, he's figured out that what he loves is to, is to chase the, you know, chase the, the worst people into unknown places. And he's, uh, that's what makes him go. He's still not quite over, uh, hasn't come to terms with everything that happened during his tour of duty in the Marines in Vietnam. Uh, he's, uh, he, it's the eighties. Uh, there's the wildlife going on with that. So fortunately, um, Michael gave me the space to uh, figure out how to, um, how to learn to, to be these people, uh, on the page. And, uh, if he said, we're not, we're not getting their voice right yet. This is, you know, this is not what really makes them go. Then, uh, he was very generous and patient about that, but, uh, I knew we were going to get it. We just had to keep doing it. And that's what, that's what revisions are for. (laughs) (laughs)
0: How how much interaction was there between you and Michael? Um, uh, obviously in, in the plotting phase and you're, you're setting those tent poles, like we talked about earlier, but as, as you're drafting, uh, were there, uh, was there any interaction back and forth, or you know, was there a finished draft? And before you shared that with Michael, how did that that interplay work?
1: It uh, the the longer we worked together, the more the the, the more frequently and, and almost constantly we talked and and shared uh, drafts. Uh, I mean initially we, we spoke about the the novel his 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 ideas uh, his ambitions for it how I could help bring my experience as a novelist to to dramatize it on the on the page um we we shared we kind of developed a a, a short outline we sent notes back and forth until uh, after a while I knew i just had to jump into the deep end and uh, uh, I drafted the first few ch- chapters of the novel uh, and sent them off. So I thought, you know, he's going to he's going to see what 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 my thoughts are here and how how I'm writing it, and we'll figure out if that's going to work. And fortunately, he. He did. So, uh, you know, I kept going, but, you know, I would write a bit and send it to him. He'd, uh, he'd make notes. He'd send it back. We'd talk on the phone. Uh, we talked constantly, uh, sometimes when he was, uh, in Tokyo, uh, filming Tokyo Vice and I'm, uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. So, uh, we, we juggle the time differences and, uh, by the, by the end of the process, um, we, we, we were alternating chapters or swapping chapters or sending scenes back and forth or pages or paragraphs and uh, constantly making notes or suggesting where we needed to do a bit more research or, or revise, and uh, I, there's, uh, there's hardly a word in the book now that we didn't both <laughs> turn over and examine and, uh, and uh, polish, reject, re- replace, whatever.
0: As an author who uh, has written multiple series uh, on your own and those series are 100% your imagination and characters and places and uh, events that that you conjured all on your own. And then to move to a project like this that is a heavy collaboration – when, when you go back to your series, which I'm, I'm sure you already are, because we understand how publishing works. And this book's been finished for a year, probably. Um, but as you got back into your uh, standard writing routine, what did that collaboration experience bring? Uh, you know, we talked earlier about the, the things that we keep in our writer's toolbox. Um, were there any new tools that were given to you in that process?
1: Uh, it was uh, wonderful to work, work with uh, with someone who was so experienced uh, in uh, understanding story structure and who has such a uh, wide and deep imagination and no fear about uh, expanding the story to Great heights in terms of time, in terms of place, in terms of uh, the characters' ambitions. Uh, so I think it was it was daunting, but it was also freeing and uh, elevating to uh, uh, to really take on a much bigger world in the sense of uh, the, the the time periods that uh, the story spans and the geographical. Uh, area the story spans and the the various uh, various worlds the characters inhabit uh, the, whether the Chicago Police Department the LAPD uh, ex con bank robbery crew a uh, cr- working for a crime family in. Paraguay, uh, understanding that the, the world of crime is changing as uh, the world marches on uh, and becoming international. That was all, uh, it was all very bold to, uh, to, to write about and to, to, to see that uh, I should have no fear about that was uh, um, really validating.
0: <laughs> Heat 2 is available everywhere now. You can run out and grab it. Uh, in in hardback uh, or Kindle edition or audiobook, um, the audiobook uh, it was narrated by Peter Giles, uh, yep. I believe. Uh, I do not envy um, that man's job in this and taking these iconic characters and trying to to translate them to to audiobook. I haven't heard it yet. Have you heard any of the audiobook? Uh,
1: I've heard parts of it, and he's he does a fantastic job. He's a wonderful actor and a wonderful voice artist. So if you're an audiobook fan, um, grab it.
0: Great. Uh, also visit your local bookstore and support local books. Uh, however you like to purchase it, uh, we'll have links in the show notes where folks can grab it from Amazon or go visit your local bookstore. Meg, this has been so much fun chatting. Um, if, if people are just discovering you and all of the work that you do, where can they connect with you online?
1: You can find me uh, on Twitter at meggardner1, M E G G A R D I N E R numeral one, uh, on Facebook at meggardnerbooks, uh, Instagram at meggardner1, my website meggardner.com, and uh, I love uh, I love saying hi to to readers and talking about books and writing. So uh, seek me out.
0: Excellent. We're going to send everyone to see you, Meg. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It was wonderful to talk to you.